Amen. Well, as you see, we're talking about prayer, and uh, we want to be better prayers, more effective prayers. Amen. That's what we all want. And Jesus wants to help us with that. He has made his intentions clear in Scripture, and he says very clearly to his disciples that even evil fathers give good gifts. So how much more would the Father give you the Holy Spirit if you would ask? Which is another way of saying, give you the ability and the strength and the grace that you need to be an effective prayer through the Holy Spirit. And uh, Jesus taught his disciples because his disciples, like you and I, we, they struggled with learning how to pray as well. And his prayers were, were very effective. Every single one of Jesus' prayers were answered. And so his disciples were encouraged and inspired to find out how to be more effective, better prayers themselves. And so he taught them. And he taught them in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And I'm going to read this for us. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Amen. Let's do that together. He says to us, when you pray, say, Father. That's right. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now that wasn't the only time that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. There was another occasion where he gave them a similar model prayer. It's in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 and we're going to read that as well. This is the, the model prayer, the Lord's prayer that you're more familiar with. Both are good, both are great. Pray then like this, Jesus says, our Father in heaven. So you can see in one he says Father, and the other one he says our Father in heaven. Which reminds us this is not a ritualistic prayer that we recite ritualistically. It's okay to recite it. It's okay to sing it. We're going to sing it after this sermon. But it's a model. It's a blueprint. But he says, when you pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen? Amen. Last last week, Jesus taught us to say, Father, and we went through several deductions um, from that, various implications of, of how the fact that he is our Father impacts our prayer. And we're going to continue to do that today. But I first wanted to ask, how is he our father? What does that exactly mean that he is our father? He is the father of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Right? God the Father is the first person of the Trinity. God the Son is the second person of the Trinity. God the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And God has revealed to us that the relationship between father and son is like the relationship between a father and a son. Obviously, it's not exactly like that. It is an analogy that helps us understand the nature of God. But God is the father of Jesus in a different way than he is the father of us. Amen. Contrary to what the Mormons might say, right? No, we are not the son in the same way that Jesus is the son. And God is also the father of all humanity in some sense. You've heard the phrase, perhaps, the brotherhood of man, 
Right? We are all family. And that's true in some sense. And liberal Christians very often bring that particular aspect out. But God is not the father of everyone in the same way. Right? The Lord's prayer is not to be prayed. It's not a prayer that Jesus prays. He doesn't have sins that need to be forgiven. He prays it as a model and a blueprint to teach his disciples how to pray. He doesn't need to pray, forgive us our debts. Amen, right? And, and it's also not a prayer for just anyone to pray. It's only a prayer for those who can call God, the creator of the universe, our father. So who is that? Well, it's everyone who has been adopted into the family of God, right? It's everyone who has been adopted by God. We're born naturally into the family of humanity, into the family of Adam. And this is a very complicated subject, but when we are saved, we are adopted by God into the household of God, and we become his sons and daughters, given a seat at the table, and we are made heirs and inheritors of his kingdom, etc. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. One of the most important and beautiful aspects of all the gospel, right here, Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. For what purpose? To redeem those who were under the law. For what purpose? So that we might receive adoption as sons. Why did he send Jesus Christ into the world? To redeem us, to pay the price of our sin. Why did he do that? So that he could bring us into the family. Amen? so that he could adopt us. That's exactly right. And, and if you are adopted, I know this from personal experience, not being adopted, but having an adopted daughter, you wrestle with certain things. But one thing you should never wrestle with, it's this, that your adoption is a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, in fact, is a closer picture of the gospel than someone naturally born to a family. Both are beautiful pictures of the gospel, but to be adopted, well, that's like getting saved. You get adopted into the family of God. You once were in the household of his enemy, and now you're sitting at the table with him. You're no longer in Adam, you're in Christ. So have you been adopted by God this morning? Then when you pray, say, Father. Have you been adopted by God? Then when you pray, say, hey, look around this room. Our Father, you know, we're brothers and sisters in the household of God because we have all been adopted. Our Father, where is he? In heaven, in heaven, that's right. Now, what are some deductions from this? I have one, two deductions on the fact that he is our Father. But first deduction is that he owns everything. Everything is his. And since he's our Father and we have been adopted into the family, we're in the will. That's right. Everything is ours. Everything is ours. It's all ours. The meek shall inherit the earth. The, the title deed has already been accomplished and has already been given to Jesus Christ. It's all ours, which, which should remind you not to fret and worry, right? But to be patient. It's all ours. He's our father, and it's all ours, right? When, I, when my family and I uh, recently, we bought a rent home, and, and then we moved another house onto the property, so I have two rent houses which I love, I love, I hated being a landlord in my 20s, but I love being a landlord now because I have more time. Um, and when we're working on that rent house, I tell my kids, I say, you know, this is mine, but it's also yours. 
right? And I tell them this so that they work with, with more attention to detail, with more of a sense of urgency, so that they put more quality into their work. Because, you know, you always work better when it's yours, right? <laughs> when you have a sense of ownership. And so I remind them, hey, this is mine, but honestly, I only have so many more years left on this planet. It's really yours, right? And I remind them, I say, and one day, unless you liquidate it, it's your children's. And perhaps even their children's children, if, if you are, you know, don't move, right? And, and my kids, when we were working, the, uh, we had to redo the sheetrock. And uh, my son, I think it was my son, but one of my kids, he wrote a little message on the two-by-fours, a message to the grandkids, this is for you, right? Isn't that something, right? You see, why though? Because if the father owns it, the kids own it. The kids own it. And their kids own it. It's our inheritance because we are in the household of God. At Romans chapter eight, verse 17, if you are a child of God, you're adopted, first of all. But if you're a child, then heirs, heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with your older brother, Christ. Amen? He said it's all ours. It's all ours. Right? Now, of course, you know that I can't give the management of my rental properties over to my kids yet. Well, some of them probably could handle it, but I certainly couldn't give it to them when they were eight. Right? They weren't ready for it. I can let them drill some screws into the deck, Right? It's theirs, and they work a little bit on it, and they might ask me for more responsibility. Hey, can, can I paint? Well, you know, there's a lot of ways to mess that up, right? So you're not ready to paint. For, I just, you show me that you can drill these screws into the deck boards, and then we'll work on painting, and, and then maybe one day electrical. But it's theirs, and they get to work on it, and over time, as they prove faithful over the small things, I give them a little bit more and a little bit more. And they say, well, could we have a little bit of the rent money since we're doing the work? Now, it's a good point. It's a good point, right? And they do get the rent money, so to speak. I mean, they get everything free, right? right? But maybe they want a little extra spending cash, a little bit of that rent money. Well, you know, maybe I give that to them so they can enjoy time, you know, various time on their own or so that they can buy the things that they like. Um, is it okay for them to ask? It's theirs, it's okay to ask. Now, I am a father, and so I have to uh, give out that inheritance wisely and slowly as they prove faithful throughout the course of their childhood. Does that make sense? And so since it is ours, and it is our inheritance, and it's all his, all the money, all the land, all the power, all the majesty, all the honor, all the fame, the stars of the heaven and the sun in the sky, and the moon, and all the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, and the beasts that dwell on the earth. It's all his, and it's all ours. So ask for it. You see, this is a sermon on prayer. Ask for it. Ask for it. Amen? Why not ask for it? Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 5. Well, this is a long parable, so don't, don't lose me on the reading of it. But look at verse 5. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, middle of the night, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to say before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, who would do that? You know, if one of us showed up at someone else's home at midnight, banging on the door, asking for something, more than likely, it might be annoying, but we're going to help him out. 
You know, my car's broke down on the side of the road. Would you give me a hand? Are you kidding me? Get out of here. No, we would help each other out, right? You would help, you would help someone out there in a time of need, even though it might be annoying. Verse 8, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, right? Uh, yet because of his impudence, I, <laughs> he will rise and give him whatever he needs. We see, but God doesn't need to be cajoled, Right? He's not groggy from, you know, being woke up in the middle of the night. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. You bang on my door at any time of night, God says, I will give it to you. I will give it to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. It's a a wordy parable, but the point is that Jesus wants you to to cultivate the godly virtue of impudence. Impudence. Say that word with me, impudence. It's not a word we use commonly. In fact, it's an insult, right? And uh, and it seems sort of contrary to to sound reason that God wants us to be impudent, because to be impudent means to be persistently annoying, basically. But what it means is to be shameless, you can't put God off. He's not tired. He's not on vacation. Right? He's not taking downtime. Nothing ever goes to call waiting. So be shameless. Ask. Right? He's not tired. Amen? He's not busy. So ask. Be shameless. Be shameless. We, all, we, ha- we know this. We have, many of us have a lot of different kids, and we know the kid who never asks for anything. For whatever reason, shy, proud, wanting to help mom and dad out because they know the finances are tight and so they don't want to be stingy, they don't want to be greedy, so they just don't ask too much. We, we know kids like that. They never ask for anything. I had a kid like that, and um, with Christmas, my wife and I had to walk them through the store slowly so that I could somehow pick up from their facial expressions something they might want. And I remember we were just walking. Sorry, Adeline, but it was Adeline. <laughs> Pastor's kids always get it. Well, I got one for every kid this morning. All right. She's walking. She's about this tall, little. And we go by the, the outdoor swimming pool section, those above ground swimming pools. And I see her eyes just do a little. Shh, shh. There it is. That's all I got. <laughs> all I got was one quick glance to the side. And I was like, I think she wants a swimming pool. All right. But now I had another son, though. Well, I have one son. This story's for him. <laughs> And he is, as, as the philosopher Garth Brooks says, shameless. <laughs> he asks for anything and everything, right? You know, shameless. He is not concerned about the family budget necessary. Now, he's getting, he's getting more and more as he gets older, but when he was a little kid, he would ask for the, the stars and maybe get the moon. Right? I have one of my favorite students at the beginning of class occasionally will say, can we go outside and play? And I'm thinking, what in the world? I said, have we ever done that? <laughs> no. I was like, we have a lecture on Tacitus today. We don't, we're not going outside and playing. And they're like, well, I figured I'd ask. <laughs> That's shameless. Be shameless. I wish when we, and I keep using this as an illustration because I'm trying to drive this point home to you. When we asked to build this building debt-free, I wish we'd have been a little more shameless. A little more shameless. This year we're asking for an emergency fund. And I'm already suspicious that we're not being shameless enough. We need to be shameless. 
right? We need to ask for it all. That's fine. I don't mean be pushy, right? I don't mean demand, okay? I mean, he is, after all, a wise father, and we must always accompany every prayer with the prayer of Gethsemane, which is, nevertheless, thy will be done. But hey, I thought I might ask, right? And, and I'm not saying that we should pray and ask as though we deserve it. I love how Jacob entreats the Lord and appeals to the Lord, um, backing up his, his, his uh, desires and his petitions with promises because Esau is about to kill Jacob. And Jacob goes to the Lord in prayer and he says, when I came into this land, I had nothing but a walking stick. And now you have given me all these children and all these possessions and all this cattle. What he's basically saying is, before you, I had nothing and now I have so much. I'm not saying I deserve anything else. All of it was by grace. It was just me and my walking stick, and you've poured all this grace on me. I don't deserve it. But if you would see fit in your grace, save me from my brother Esau. And then he backs up his petitions with promises. After all, you promised me prosperity. After all, you promised me health after all, you promised me that I would be wealthy. After all, you promised me that my offspring would be like the stars of the sky and like the sands of the seashore. And that's going to be hard to come true while me and my whole family are dead. And it was a good, it was a good prayer. It was good pleading. And the Lord granted his request because he was shameless. And he asked, not because we deserve it, but because he has told us, I'm your father. Ask and you will receive. Of course, if you don't ask and you're not shameless, then you won't receive. Yeah. You say, but I thought God was sovereign. How does that reconcile? I don't know. It's not our job to figure that out. Amen? And I don't mean that God is a pushover. He, he is not like a machine that you just push the shameless button and you get whatever you want. He is a father, amen? That's the problem with the prosperity gospel is that their God is not the Christian God. It's not the covenantal father God. It's a pantheistic force God, if you wanna know what's really going on in the prosperity gospel. And they teach if you manipulate the levers just right, say the right words and think the right thoughts, then presto, you get what you want. No, I'm not saying anything like that. But I am saying that he owns it all and we are his heirs. And so it's all ours and it's good to ask. It's great to ask. He wants you to ask. Amen. And he says very clearly that if you ask, you will receive. And I believe that with all my heart, I believe whatever you ask for, and we're going to give some stipulations in later sermons, if it is according to his will and it hallows his name and it advances his kingdom, then whatever you ask in his name, you will receive or something better. Amen? Amen. Let's move on. Second deduction. Because he is our father, we have access. We have access. When I was a kid and, and people listened to the radio back then, and I think people still do, but not many, but there was always a, a DJ that would come on in between songs, and sometimes they'd have a raffle. Older people remember this. A, a, you know, a famous musician would be coming into town, and they'd say, caller number nine wins free tickets to the show, and, and everyone would call. And uh, if you got really good at it, those of us who used to do this, you'd call in the station and try to be, and you're like, you were number two caller, and you'd hang up real fast and call again. Until, and hopefully you got caller number nine, or whatever it was, and then you would get free tickets to the to the show or to the, to the fair or to the rodeo or whatever it was. And sometimes they were handing out tickets with a backstage pass. And if you got that backstage pass, you could wear that lanyard with the little 
the little tag, and that meant you didn't just go into the concert. You got to go behind the stage into the Holy of Holies. There, you know, you got to go into the presence. And if you really received a, a, a very special lanyard and pass, you could go into the green room. You know, the green room, megachurch pastors have them, right? And, and, you, and you, you're not allowed to go in there, but just say it. But if you got the lanyard and the pass, you could go in there. You could have access Amen? You see, some people are very important, and a lot of people want to see them, but not everyone can see them because they're humans. They only have so much time and energy. But, but if you can say, our Father, because you've been adopted into the family of God, you have the backstage pass. You have the VIP pass. You have the green room. You have the lantern. You have, not the lantern. You have the lanyard, and you have the pass. And you can speak to the God of the universe face-to-face in his VIP room, the throne room of the heavenlies, any time you want. Wow. You, can't, you don't even have that kind of access to your own dad. I'm busy. I do have to work at some point around here, right? But it's never like that with our heavenly father. You can speak to him like Moses spoke to him on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai face-to-face, Anytime you want. Why wouldn't we pray more? Why wouldn't we pray more? Now you think, and this is a little tricky, but I do want to say this because I wrestle with this in my own life. When you teach your children to pray, you might, you might have some concern about, okay, well, are, is he their father? I'm not sure. They can't speak yet, et cetera, et cetera. It can get really complicated, but let me just say it very clearly to you. They have the lanyard in the past too. Right? So when you are praying with them before they go to bed, you say, hey, say our Father who art in heaven. And Jesus tells us very clearly that he hears them. He said to his disciples, let them have access to, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. All right, let's move on. Our Father also has some aspects or some deductions we need to see very clearly. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 again. In, in Luke, he says, pray Father, but look right here. Pray then like this, our Father, our Father. Who's the our? We already said it's the church. It's everyone that the high priest represents. When the high priest of Israel went into the Holy of Holies, he had the access Amen? He had the face-to-face access, but everyone he represented um, got to go in through him covenantally. So the R is all those that the high priest represents. The R is the Israel of God, which is the church, according to Paul in the, in the gospel, in the book of Galatians. The R is everyone that God has given to the Son. John 17, verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. That's the R, the R. Are you a part of it? Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Isn't that something? And they've kept my word. If you've been given to the Son, you are the bride of Christ. You were the church. You were represented by the Son. And when you pray, you say, Our Father, Our Father. In other words, there's an old hymn that says uh, that we, uh, when I come to the garden alone, it's an old hymn. And the point is, you never go to the garden alone, right? You might be alone in your prayer closet, but there's always an R. There's always a we. There's always a corporate body. And when you pray, 
You are accessing the throne room of heaven. You have the backstage pass. You have the promises. You are supposed to be impudent. But you have to remember, you're not alone. You've got brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? There's an R there. And so you need, when you approach the throne, when you are accessing the Father, you need to bring them up in intercessory prayer. Amen? You need to bring them up. Make a list. Have some names on that list. But when you're making petitions for yourself and your household, make petitions for others as well. Amen? And make sure you have things right with those people. Listen to Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, right, like, he, like you owe him some money, you know, you've been delinquent on that for you know, two years, what should you do? First, be reconciled to your brother, right? Leave your gift there before the altar, verse 24. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift, you see, we oftentimes think that before the Lord's Supper, we need to spend a whole bunch of time just like examining ourselves and making sure we're right with God and making sure everything is, is peachy keen. But the Bible actually tells us that that's supposed to happen before the tithes and offering, right? Isn't that interesting? Before you put your offerings in the plate, set that down in your chair and go pay your brother what you owe him, right? If you have defrauded him in any way, make it right with him. Pay restitution if, there is, if, there is, if it's needed. Apologize if needed. And say, I have, I have slandered you. I have hurt your reputation. I can't put those pieces back together again. But would you forgive me? Then go back to your seat, pick up your tithe and offering, and put it in the plate. Make sense? Why? 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 Because God doesn't want your tainted tithes. God doesn't want you to go around being religious and giving your tithes and offerings when you owe your brother in Christ some money. Amen? You need to make sure things are right with the R before you say our father. And if he doesn't want your tainted tithes, how much more does he not want your tainted prayers? Can you petition him for financial freedom while you're not paying your debts, right? Can you petition him for forgiveness when you're not forgiving the R? See, the fact that he says our father is very important. And, and I do feel sorry that some Christians don't have an R. They're like little sheep out there all alone. They're not in a pasture and they don't have a shepherd. They don't have pastors. They don't have elders. They don't have a, a body of Christ that they can see with their own eyes and they can serve and they can know. You know, I feel sorry for those people. They have, they have been caught up in the lie of radical individualism or self-autonomy, the spirit of this age. They've been caught up in that lie. But you and I in here, we have an R, don't we? There's faces to that hour and names to that hour. So when we go into our prayer closets, we pray. And do good to those people. Do good to them. The, the, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6.10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That's all of Acadiana. Do good to everyone in Acadiana. When you leave here on Monday morning, you're going to be engaged in your calling, doing your trade, amen, what the Lord has called you to do, and you're going to do good to everyone. Amen? Do good but especially do good to those who are of the household, the family of faith, right? And what better can you do for a brother and sister than to go get dad so that he can help, amen? There's only so much that a sibling can do for another sibling, but, but dad has the power and he has the money 
and he has the grace, and he has the wisdom and the know-how. The best thing we can do for one another is to pray for one another. So Jesus, we're asking him to teach us how to pray, and he's telling us, hey, pray for one another. That's how we do it. You can extend the, the boundaries of your tent. You can also extend the boundaries of your neighbor's tent and of the brothers and sisters in Christ in your own church. Amen? Don't you want to see the businesses in this church thrive, not just yours, but others? Don't you want to see our endeavors advance the kingdom? Amen? We all want to be cooking with Crisco, and so we all need to be praying one for another. Amen? All right, last point. He's not only our Father, he is our Father in heaven. Now, this means a few things. And what is always pointed out is that it means he is high and lifted up and exalted. And so when we pray, we must pray with respect and with awe and reverence. Amen. But it, but it also has another meaning. And, and that is that he rules and reigns and, and lives, so to speak. God cannot be contained by even the highest of heavens. Okay, heaven is a created place. God doesn't fit there. But he has communicated to us in a sense that he lives there. It is his throne room, his dwelling place. He lives there, and he rules over all things from there through his son, Jesus Christ. But heaven, heaven is the most amazing and glorious place that you could ever imagine. That's, that's also what this means. And our father, who owns everything and who has given us absolute backstage pass to heaven where he lives, and it is an amazing, beautiful, and glorious place. Try to imagine somewhere better than heaven. It's impossible. You literally cannot do it. And I don't use the word literally too often. I hate that. Right? But you, you, know, you literally cannot imagine a better place than heaven. Here in Louisiana, a lot of things are scarce. You know, gold is scarce around here. Good roads are scarce. Um, right? Mosquitoes, not scarce. But in heaven, all the best things are there in infinite supply. In heaven, the streets are good and they're made with gold. And mosquitoes are scarce, if they even exist. They've been redeemed or resurrected in some way, I don't know. But <laughs> heaven, is, heaven has an abundance of gold. He lives there. And we have access. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Heaven has an abundance of health. The, the tree of life is planted there, and it's for people to eat, and, and they never grow sick, and they never grow tired, and they never grow old. It's health is in an abundant supply, and, and our Father lives there, and he rules over everything from that place. Wow. Wow. And, and heaven is incredibly beautiful. It's, in be it's a beautiful place, and he rules from there. In, in fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Imagine a spiritual blessing. Imagine any blessing. It's all there in absolute infinite supply in the heavenly places. Wow, and he lives there. And he has said, if you ask, you will receive. And he has given you full access. He's even said, it's your inheritance. You can see how Jesus wants us to pray more and pray better. My, um, my son, this is two for Jude this morning. Sorry, Jude. Well, we, we came to the big city when they were little, to Lafayette, all the way from Brobridge. And we went, we went to Toys R Us for the first time. And some of you remember that store. And, uh, and Toys R Us, for those of you who don't know, 
is a warehouse much larger than this space filled to the roof with toys, with toys. And I remember when Jude walked in, he was about this tall, could barely talk. He walked in, he looked around this place. What is this place? I don't know what he was thinking, but I have a suspicion. He's like, and my dad has money. <laughs> now, I couldn't get him just anything and everything in that place. But when you walk into heaven one day, you're going to be, whoa, what is this place? You've been here all along? And I promise you, you're going to think, I should have asked for more. <laughs> I should have asked for more, right? Because he can buy it all. It's already his. Man, man. You say, well, that's all the way out in heaven. What does that have to do with us down here? Well, the Bible tells us in Malachi 3 and in various other places that, that heaven has windows and that God can open them up and let a little heaven into your life, right? A little cool breeze, a little afternoon sun, he can open up the blinds. He can open up the window and let heaven come in. If you ask, if you ask. You see, you might be struggling with various things in your life right now. And you might be putting your trust into the work of your own hands as, as though if you just worked harder, if you just worked longer, you could get a little bit of that heaven down in your life. Work is only the means through which God typically blesses us. Prayer is another means through which God lets a little heaven into your life. You see what I mean? There's, there's more ways than one to skin a cat. And there's more ways than one to pay the bills. You can pray. And you can work. And you must do all of them realizing that if God isn't in it and he's not going to answer it, nothing's ever going to happen. Amen? Amen. All right, let's all stand.